Welcome to Festival Nation on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Here's your host, Marla Davies. Hey now, it's Marla Davies, host of Festival Nation, where we celebrate the magical world of music festivals. While we're going through some strange days and we can't gather in large groups to listen to live music together, we can still celebrate on Festival Nation. In upcoming episodes, we'll revisit some of your favorite festivals from the past, including Desert Trip, Lollapalooza, the Vans Warp Tour, Coachella, Bakken, the Us Festival, and Day on the Green, and I'm sure we'll feature a few more. Please let me know if you have any ideas or any favorite festivals you've gone to. Always love your input. Find me on social at Festival Nation Podcast and on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Festival Nation teamed up with Skull and Roses, the festival celebrating the music and community of the Grateful Dead, which would have been at the Ventura County Fairgrounds the first weekend of April. And it was one of the first festivals to cancel for 2020. We were planning on doing a live podcast on site during the event and helping to promote Skull and Roses. The festival canceled before I had a chance to air some of the interviews. So we'll bring interviews with O'Teal Burbridge from Dead & Company, Melvin Seals, and rock and roll photographer Jay Blakesburg. We'll also be releasing those interviews soon on Festival Nation and hoping to go to Skull and Roses in 2021. And the next Festival Nation podcast, I'm going to be talking with Midnight at the Oasis fame, Maria Maldar, who will share her current project with the Garcia Project called Spirit, which is a loving tribute to Jerry Garcia and the spiritual songs he performed. Well, me, your host of this podcast, Festival Nation, loves music festivals, and that's why I even started the podcast. And as you know, the 2020 concert season is a bust, and it's hard for me to believe. Probably for the first time since I was, I don't know, 16 years old, I'm not going to see a summer concert, and I know you feel the same if you love live music. The Bay Area summertime concert venue, the Shoreline Amphitheater, has canceled its 2020 season, and I'm sure it's not the only venue across the country to call it quits for 2020. I live in the Bay Area, so that one hits pretty hard, pretty close to home for me. The latest festival news is Coachella has canceled their rescheduled festival, which was originally scheduled for April the 10th through the 12th and the 17th through the 19th, and then rescheduled for October. Its parent company, AEG, has instituted its deepest staff cuts in company history, laying off about 15% of their workforce and furloughing over 100 staff. Its sister festival, Stagecoach, also canceled. Coachella is really an eye-opener because that's a big festival. It was one of the first to reschedule and now canceled. I feel that many other festivals for 2020 are going to follow suit. Coachella considered one of the largest drawing a festival. More than 250,000 people attended over the two-weekend period. And it is one of the more influential music festivals in America. The festivals were shut down by the public health official of Riverside, saying the festivals attract hundreds of thousands of attendees from many countries, and if there is an outbreak and it occurs at Coachella or at Stagecoach, it would be impossible to track those who may be at risk. With a heavy heart, according to their announcement, the Governor's Ball in New York, scheduled for June, is canceled, and now they are looking forward to 
a 2021 season. Lollapalooza in Chicago, scheduled for July 30th to August the 2nd, has announced they have canceled. And from their official statement, they say, rest assured, we will be working hard behind the scenes to deliver Chicago a spectacular celebration of Lollapalooza's 30th anniversary in the summer of 2021. And we can't wait to celebrate with you. It's difficult to imagine summer without our annual weekend together, sharing the unbelievable energy generated when live music and our incredible community of fans unite. That's really well put. Summerfest in Milwaukee is canceled, along with two iconic festivals in England, the Reading and the Leaks Festivals. Glastonbury canceled their event earlier this spring. At the time of publishing this podcast, the Lockin Festival in Virginia is still scheduled for October 2nd through the 4th, but as of now, they still have not announced their lineup. Outside Lands in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco has also not announced their lineup yet, and they have not canceled their festival scheduled for August 7th through the 9th. And Bottle Rock in Napa still holding out for their October 2nd through the 4th dates, and the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival still holding on to those October 2nd through 4th dates as well. Included in the show notes is a link to a Billboard article with the most up-to-date festival and tour cancellations. And as always, we'll keep you posted on upcoming festival cancellations. It's starting to seem unlikely that we're going to see any large festivals in 2020. But it really has been amazing to see the improvisation online in the virtual world. Coming up today, we'll talk with Ed Vincent, who's the founder and CEO of Festival Pass, which is the world's first live events subscription service across music, film, food and wine, theater, and tech and innovation. We'll talk with Ed about the future of live events and where he sees music festivals going after the pandemic. As sheltering in place seems to go on and on and on, and things are finally starting to open up, People are getting kind of crazy at home, like crazy stir crazy is what I'm saying. And this is pretty cool because if you're going stir crazy and you want to spice it up a little bit, uh, you might as well check out Adam and Eve because they've got 50% off almost every item. You can get tons of free gifts and receive free shipping too. All you need to do, go to adamandeve.com and add, when you go to the checkout, just type in FEST. F-E-S-T, you can do that right there at the checkout. Now, there's lots of free stuff. Of course, that's, that's awesome. Who doesn't like free stuff? And free stuff to spice up your bedroom, even better. Select almost any one item for 50% off, and then Adam and Eve loads in all kind of other free stuff too. Remember, it's important because you want to get the deal. Enter the offer code FEST. It's good for the podcast too, by the way. F-E-S-T at the checkout and get 10 tantalizing free gifts, a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, or him and him, or her and her. <laughs> hey, however you play it, there's no judging here, right? And you can also get uh, six free spicy movies, plus free shipping. It's all at adamandeve.com. Festival Nation, celebrating the magical world of music festivals. Now, please welcome Ed Vincent, founder and CEO of Festival Pass. Hey, Ed. Hi, Marla. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I wish I could see a festival. I'm looking toward the future here, and I am feeling like maybe there's going to be no festivals this summer. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I do believe that there won't be any of the traditional larger festivals, um, but I do feel in some capacity in certain parts of the country, um, there's more and more people willing to explore 
you know, small gatherings, um, you know, just to get outdoors and be part and hear music. So you think there'll probably be a little bit of a, a smaller thing. First of all, let's talk a little bit about Festival Pass. I actually kind of ran across you guys, and I'm not sure if we met because we were shooting a documentary. It's called Woodstock Nation last summer, and we were at Fest Forum in Santa Barbara, and you guys were there. And I was like, hey, so I we actually interviewed for our documentary uh, Pat Tully, who does your podcasts. Oh, that, that makes total sense. You put it uh, in, in full circle now. Yes. Yeah, so, of course, Lori, who uh, who runs Fest Forum, she's on our advisory board for Festival Pass. And yes, we were all there. Oh, then maybe I did run across you guys because it was a, it was a hubbub of activity. So it was, of course, they basically support people that that you know promoters of festivals or all things festivals. And so, yeah, I mean, I got one of your wristbands, and that's why I'm a little bit of you know familiar w- with what you guys were doing. Of course, last year in 2019, it seems like a long time ago, festivals were just, I mean, they were talking about festival absorption and just, you know, the it was festival, 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 and wow, how the world's changed <laughs> in a couple yeah, months, right? Sure, not too, not, not too far ago, that was... Only about six, seven months ago, right? I know, right? So you're what you're. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this diabolical plan you had with you know for festivals, which is which was wonderful. I thought. Sure, sure. So, um, from a, sometimes context helps. So, uh, kind of understanding why we got to where we are today uh, kind of explains a little bit about the model that we're that we're seeking to achieve. Is that okay to go? Yeah, to yeah. Give us your history. Sure. Sure. So, you know, I've personally been an entrepreneur for over 20 years and um, have built uh, multiple companies uh, in the tech space. Uh, and, you know, I had an e-commerce company in 99 that I sold in 2001. And then where the event-based business kind of hit me was soon thereafter. Um, uh, one small piece of uh, backstory, which is kind of interesting, is Pat, who you mentioned, who is also the host of our, uh, our podcast, uh, and who you met out there. Um, we've been friends ever since we were uh, in high school together. And uh, some of the evolution into entrepreneurship was because of our friendship. We, uh, we used to throw big multi-thousand person New Year's parties in New York City, which is effectively a large event. And when we realized that the internet was an easier way to process credit cards for those events back in 1999, uh, we decided that, wow, this internet thing's cool. And it eventually led to us starting our first company, which was, okay. yeah, yes. Yeah. So moving forward for most of the 2000s, I ran a agency, which is an experiential agency uh, for activating brands at large events um, throughout most of the 2000s. And the reason I bring that up is um, it really kind of brought me to, you know, my love of live events. Um, and at that time, we helped launch a bunch of film festivals. Um, we worked with the Sonoma Valley Film Festival. We helped launch the Bell Film Festival. And then I, um, I created a film festival down in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and during that time frame, we, we uh, ran for many years a festival down there, uh, as well as built a hotel uh, in partnership with Maxim Magazine. Um, but okay. the reason to bring that, the reason to bring that up is, uh, is just the love of live events at scale and really wanting to participate, uh, in live events in some capacity. I then went on and built a technology company, a SaaS business that I sold in 2014. And then the last five years have worked, uh, in data in entertainment. Uh, I, I created a consultancy and a software platform where we help people like A&E networks and AMC networks and screen vision, the people that run ads in front of movie theaters, um, 
as well as movietickets.com and a bunch of other companies. So the point I'm trying to make is we played a lot in the data space in entertainment. And during that process, I was asked to come in and help as a consultant to a company called MoviePass, which a lot of people may or may not have heard of. Yeah, MoviePass um, was pretty cool. It's, it's, it's not around anymore, right, from what I understand? No, okay. no, and that's, and that's part of the story, right? So I was asked to come in as their uh, interim chief data officer. And for me, I was fascinated about all the great data that they were collecting in terms of what movies people saw and how that data can be used to to inform a lot of interesting decisions. Unfortunately, they had some other issues in terms of the business model and in terms of how they were financing it that kind of led to it not being sustainable. Uh -huh. But outside of that, during that process, I learned a lot. And it, this, this is the context I was referring to because now we're back at a place where I have a long history of events. I have a long history of technology. I have a, a history of understanding uh, how data works within very large multi-million subscriber subscription models. And I realized that the live events business overall is a really big business. It's a $200 billion a year business and throughout the globe. Uh, and I realized that with the right business model, we can turn, um, we can create a subscription marketplace for live events. Right. So what, what do they get? I know the only thing I realized is we had those wristbands and you could, you didn't have to have cash. And that was one of like a bonus for me. You have to fiddle around with that, but you, it is a subscription. So I'm sure I saw on your website, you're offering it for free right now, right? I mean, it's going to be hard to, to keep that up right during this pandemic. So, so people can become members for free, but, but we have a credit based system. Um, and the way it works is, uh, as you become a paid member, you begin to receive credits and you can then use those credits to attend events. So for as little as $9 a month, you get a certain amount of credits or up to as much as $99 a month, you get even more credits. Um, and of course, the more you commit to the more credits you get on a lower cost per credit basis. But the idea really is, um, is, is banking those credits in your, you know, I almost call it a, uh, an event savings account. Because um, those credits roll over month to month uh, and build uh, effectively a savings account that you can use for thousands of events. Um, so is so it for ticket is, prices or for merch or for what? Um, so initially it's about entry. So, so it's about tickets. So the idea is that um, you can use your credits for thousands of events uh, and gain uh, access to a ticket. Um, of course, uh, you're already thinking into the future is because it credits are a currency. It is a, a form of money. Um, you know, we'll be able to apply the, that currency to many things. Um, so initially it could be merch. Uh, it could expand into food and beverage. It could expand into um, digital and virtual events and numerous other things. Now that all this has happened, what do you, what's going on with festival pass or how are you handling this? We're good. So, um, so it's been something we've been building over the past year. And, uh, and the good news is, is, you know, we were ready to go, you know, strong and live and tell the world everything about us uh, back in uh, March, April. Um, we have a partnership with the third largest radio network in the country who invested in festival pass and provided. Who's, who's that? Uh, they're called Town Square Media. You familiar okay. with Town Square Media? I'm not actually, no. Yeah, they have about 350 radio stations throughout the U.S. and okay. they reach about 100, about, about 80 million unique visitors across all their websites. Um, so they're a substantial company in, in the space. Um, and what was great is that, you know, part of the deal is they, they're providing us millions of dollars worth of advertising throughout their network to really drive um, people to 
uh, at least be aware of Festival Pass and become subscribers. During the pandemic, I mean, it's kind of on, everything's a little bit on hold. There's not much entertainment. Or how, yes. are, you ha- that, how are you handling that? Yeah, so that's correct. So, so that was the silver lining I was talking about is even though we didn't go out uh, like with a big marketing message, it's allowed us to really spend uh, some, some str- time building infrastructure. Um, so as I related to before, um, there's a lot in the data space uh, of building data infrastructure that I think would be super helpful or will be super helpful to all of our partners. Um, and I come from that background, so I know how to do it. Um, so it's giving us an opportunity to create the infrastructure today that once all events become become begin to come back, we can immediately just scale and and you know manage thousands of different uh, venue and uh, event partners as well as manage millions of subscribers. Okay, so like everybody else, you get a little bit of a pause and you get a chance to you know do some of the, some of the stuff you know in the back end that you you know you can do behind the scenes instead of in front of the scenes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's allowed us to you know focus on launching our podcast to build our um, our uh, partner dashboard so that people can manage the content of their events and you know by themselves. Um, we're building in all of our data dashboards. So what's great about people that own and run festivals, um, you know, there's always been a gap between knowing who's phys- who's actually at the festival in terms of demographic and. Uh, income and all the other information related to who your audience is. Um, so we're building our partner dashboards to enable um, our partners to be able to see uh, data. We have a, we have a daily graph built in our product that that looks at over two two hundred fifty million U.S. consumers. So when somebody comes to our website and they can um, you know join or sign up, um, we're able to understand a little more about them and at least go out to our data graph and say, hey, you know this person that's a member of ours, what else might we know about them? What interests might they have? Do they, do they like rock and roll? Do they go to movies? And some of that information on an anonymous level. I was uh, just going to say, there's a little creepy factor here. It's like, you, you know a lot about me. I'm not sure I like that. No, I mean, the interesting thing about data in, in today's world, right. Is um, it's, it's about creating the exchange between the consumer and, and the reason to have data. Um, you know, I think everybody pretty much already realizes is the, uh, you know, if I, if I can say it appropriately, the the world of consumer data on the internet is, is already existing. So it's about having the power to be able to aggregate that data and then look for commonalities to say, hey, out of the thousands of people that are interested in going to this festival or, or are going to this festival, you know, 40% um, are female and 60% are male and, you know, 33% prefer rock and roll over country. I'm just using these examples, but, but having that basic general information about who your audience is, is super helpful to the organizers to not only sell sponsorship um, because all the sponsors want to know who's actually at the event, but it also helps them for many other reasons to target new consumers, to try and market, to spend media dollars to get people to go to their event. So there's a, there's a lot involved in it. Right. Well, I, I have a long history in radio, so I understand getting the demographics. It helps sell your ads and et cetera, et cetera, of course. But for the consumer, I mean, I know as a deadhead as well, but especially that group, I mean, they're kind of, and even our, our radio listeners, sometimes they felt a little like, I don't know if I want to give you all of this information because then you're, I don't know what you're going to do with it. So there is, it, I can see how it really helps on the business standpoint, but for the consumer standpoint, what's the advantage? 
Yeah, big advantage. So um, think about, you know, what we have within our infrastructure. A lot of it is about learning and discovery and making the experience better for the consumer. That's, that's the, the main goal of everything, right? So it's about, hey, I'm coming to this platform and um, I want to build a community within the platform um, the same way I would when I'm live at, at an event or a show. Um, so by the consumer coming in and, you know, consenting to the aggregation of some of their data, what it does is it allows them to have a better experience. Um, so similar to when you're utilizing something like Netflix, um, think about when you, not to say Netflix is perfect at recommending new movies or other shows that you might want to watch, but in general, if you think about the home screen of Netflix, you end up, you have access to thousands upon thousands of films or TV content. It would be impossible for you to kind of navigate through all of those and consider them as something you might want to engage in. Um, so obviously, the more you're engaging in the platform, the more recommendations they're making. Hey, you right, would like this sure. movie because of what you did. So same same goes for us, right? So we're, we look at it as, um, hey, I, I signed in and I'm from New York and I signed up as a paid subscriber. And the first thing you're going to see in terms of the possible events you might want to go to are, hey, here's 50 things going on in New York that you might be interested in. We're talking with Ed Vincent, founder and CEO of Festival Pass and more after this. Festival Nation, celebrating the magical world of music festivals. Hey, it's Marla Davies, and this is the Festival Nation podcast. Today, we're talking with Ed Vincent, founder and CEO of Festival Pass. So you were talking about how you started in music and uh, you know how you started loving well, film festivals and music and just going out. Can you can you think about what really hooked you on festivals? What was the first festival that you know you went to and you're like, oh, I love this. I want to go and do this again. Yeah, I mean, honestly, in the beginning, the the first thing that hooked me from a festival perspective started on the film side and then kind of evolved into the music side and then also went to food and wine. So that's why there's one thing to, to note about um, Festival Pass is is what's unique about us is we're the first kind of cross-genre uh, subscription concept. So it's not about only music. It's about with my membership, I can go to a film festival. I could uh, go to a, a concert. I can go to a music festival. I can go to a, you know, a Guinness and Oyster Festival. I can go to a wine and cheese festival. Um, so it's enabling the cross-genre ability to have one pass that gets you into everything. To all those kind of festivals. But for you personally, Ed, seriously, what was your first, what was the festival? Do you, is there, do you have a first festival that comes to mind that really tra that brought you in? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I'm trying to think, I mean, because as I was saying, definitely the film side was in, in the you know early 2000s. I spent a lot of time going to all the different film festivals and I, I owned one. Um, so that was kind of the impetus. And then there was a couple of film festivals that would also include uh, music and film. And then I saw the evolution of things like South by Southwest coming to be. And uh, as an entrepreneur for so long, I'm part of um, entrepreneur networks. And, um, and one of the things that I saw that I loved was the combination of tech and innovation, music, film, and all other forms of art. So when you think of something like the South by Southwest, um, it, it inspires all different senses. Um, and I really enjoy when you can go hear, you know, somebody like Malcolm Gladwell, as an example, a book author and, you know, futurist talk about something at a, um, you know, at a, a panel, but at the same time, you know, the same day, go over and see one of your favorite bands and then end the evening 
go see a film that's a great indie film. And the idea of all that coming together is what really got me hooked. And that's kind of what brought the cross genre perspective mm-hmm. to this. I, yeah, that's a, that's very cool. Let's talk about movies then for a second. So that is one of the things I was just reading. They had the they had lists of activities that are more risky, higher risk activity, lower risk. And they said a movie theater was not really ready for this pandemic because the seats are pretty close. Even the new stadium seats, you know, the more cozy seats gives a little more space. But what do you, when do you think the movies, when are going to go to a movie again? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. The, the, the question is all about when will you be comfortable enough to go? Um, as an example, and because I come from that space, I, I, I have kind of a, my finger on the pulse. Um, so some of the networks, over 50% of the, the theaters are already open again. Um, so, you know, I'm in New York City. Where it, they, they aren't open yet. You're in, I think, uh, San Francisco or Air, Bay, Bay Area. Yeah, Bay Area is also, we're, we're sort of on the same pace of opening as you guys in New York. Slow, a little slower. But, uh, but yes, on the movie theater side, 50% of all of the theaters within a network that represents over half of the country are already open. Um, so, you know, whether it's in Texas or Georgia or Florida, a lot of theaters are already opening. But to your point, the big question is, is just because they're open, does that mean people are going to go? Right. Well, I'm sure they're going to have to separate people and seating charts and things like that and make some more space. Yeah, I think the, the beginning is hopefully they'll increase it over time, but most of them are going with the 25% uh, capacity. So okay. if, if the theater sits 100, uh, they'll only sell 25 tickets to each screening. From what I understand also from the movies is that, you know, a lot of production has completely stopped during this pandemic too, because people haven't been able to work and make movies. So are we going to see a lull in that you think? Um, definitely a lull in the um, new production of, of stuff over the last three months. But um, I, I've been seeing a lot of uh, reports that um, uh, some of them are beginning to reopen. Some of the productions are beginning to start up in a, in a small capacity. And then a lot of the studios and content creators are, going through the process of what are the safety protocols they need to put in place to allow people to come back. Right. Everything's going to take, well, I think it's going to be a little bit of a slow opening and then also smaller. And I think we're going to see, we're already seeing, you're just saying that smaller audiences at movie theaters, everything's going to be a little bit smaller. And I feel like right before this pandemic, things were getting really big. I mean, the festival scene was at its max, really, really ultimate popularity type thing. So what do you see in festival world, music festival world? Yeah. I, I mean, what, what I do see is first of all, um, I can't make any predictions for 2020. Um, I know there's been a bunch of folks that um, postponed obviously spring festivals and put them into the fall and have not yet made a determination whether to have them or not. And then there's others that just canceled 2020, like Doug ball, for example, you know, that was in June. They canceled that. Um, that should have been this past weekend, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they did. They're not rescheduling for the fall or anything. They're just they're just wiping this year out and starting in 2021. Um, but then you have others that still are holding on to the possibility that somehow they can potentially have them this fall. Um, but again, I th- I think where things will evolve to um, is to if there are outdoor festivals and protocols can be put in place you know, they'll try to hope to spread out the environment. Yeah. I think you're seeing um, from a concert perspective, um, a lot of uh, venues are turning into drive-in venues. 
Yeah. Um, I know, I know Live Nation is, uh, you know, producing dozens, if not hundreds of drive-in concerts. Drive-in concerts, pretty amazing. That's a, you know, too bad a lot of uh, people close down their drive-in theaters. And that's a, that's a, pr- a pricey piece of real estate. Yeah. So, I mean, we have one here in San Jose, but, you know, I don't know if they're, I don't think, I don't know if they've explored it. The owners, you know, are kind of like, what, what's going on? So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a cool concept. I think, I, I think a bunch of them are, um, they're using parking lots of pre-existing arenas. So, for, for example, here in New York, Yankee Stadium is going to have outdoor movies over the summer, but also uh, I suspect they'll do some outdoor concerts. And I know there's a bunch of um, venues that, um typically would be arenas per se that have big parking lots that they're going to turn into uh, drive-in concerts. Might as well. The, one of the big questions is, and as a female, this always comes to mind, like what about the bathrooms? Yes. Yes. Uh, so again, a lot of them, uh, they have protocols in place, so they will have uh, bathrooms. They will only allow a certain amount in per time. And uh, I, I envision it being very similar to what I experienced in New York city when people want to go to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods is uh, people just queue up and uh, there's, you know, 50 to hundred people online all six feet apart as they're waiting to enter the store. Um, I can imagine something being similar from a bathroom perspective. <laughs> See the festival pass needs to hook up with the bathroom situation. And that would be like, you got a like, VIP bathroom. Yes. Yes. That's always important. So it's just, I'm just trying to look into the future and see how this is all going to look. And it's going to be more distanced. So, I mean, I went to a ton of festivals and, you know, I love a festival and it's not distanced at all. I mean, it's very crowded in there. So, sure. you know, they're going to, if, you know, we're going to say three quarters of you can't go to this festival how is that going to look, you know, they're not going to, you know, sponsors and promoters are not going to make the profit margins they were making. Yeah, that, that's correct. And I, I see that affecting a lot of the, um, call it smaller, um, non-for-profit theater groups and other things like that. So when I think of any kind of live event, you know, especially with what we're doing at Festival Pass, it isn't only just festivals, it's really all live events. Mm-hmm. Um, so you referenced the movie theaters. I think they'll be able to get through it because, as we all know, movie theaters usually had about an 80% vacancy rate anyway, just at off times. So, so I, I think they'll work through that uh, in terms of how the spacing of the seating is. Um, I think it's going to be really hard for like Broadway theaters uh like folks in New York City with Broadway theaters, you're packing 3,000 people into a tiny little theater. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to that's gonna be difficult. And to your point on the, the economics is when you have things like ballet or theaters like that, um, you just can't economically operate at a 25% occupancy. The money's not there. So, yeah. so I agree. What do you foresee? I, I mean, those, you know, those arts always seem to, you know, they struggle anyway. And now this just seems... This just isn't positive for those smaller, those kind of, you know, groups, ballets, small theaters, things like that. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I honestly believe most of them will probably forego a fall season. Some have said they're going to come back and attempt to do a holiday um, thing because uh, that some places, like when you talk about ballet, the Nutcracker obviously is the thing that drives 50% of the revenue for the ballet company yeah. Oh, yeah. throughout the year. So, so we'll see. Maybe they'll do more shows uh, with less people. Um, but oh, I that's do a lot that. of work for the artist. I'll tell you. <laughs> it is. It, oh it is. man, it is. But uh, but I, I do think that um, some people 
may just forego this year's season. So forego the fall season and just focus on, hey, by 2021, we're going to have, um, if not a vaccine, at least better treatment and better protocols and better tracing. And I do believe there's so many people working on the path to understand how to manage um, entry and exit. Like if, if you remember, um, you know, pre and post 9-11, uh, the world of how people enter stadiums versus how people sure. go through airports, et cetera, mm-hmm. is, you know, people just got used to it. It just became the norm. You have to go through a metal detector. You have to, right. you know, now, now it's, you have to have a temperature check. If you're above, you know, 98 degrees or 90, I'm sorry, 90, 99 degrees, uh, you're going you get pulled to the side, you get pulled to the side. And there's the more and more we learn, uh, both from a medical perspective, as well as from a kind of, um, how do you say it's risk management perspective? I think people will get more and more comfortable. There's doing, things like doing that, right? Yeah. There's things like the, even the world health organization, there's an article today that they really don't believe most of transmission happened with asymptomatic people. Oh really? Um, I didn't hear that. That's kind of positive. Cause that was, that was a freak factor because people were saying, I don't feel bad. So you don't, you go out, right? And then you are bad. So that's good to know. Correct. I mean, I like that yeah. to hear that because we, there's so many unknowns and it's just taking time to get through all that. Yeah. So they, if, if they think that that's not likely, it's, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely that that decreases the risk. So that means temperature checks could highly increase the ability to curb it. Yes, absolutely. That is, that's kind of positive. So you see some positive stuff coming out of this, you know, the truth is, you know, as Americans, we're ambitious, we go out, even when we're not 100% feeling well. And I think and I'm hoping this would actually make people if you're not feeling well, if you're not well, please stay home, just stay home. Don't spread it because now we know how bad, how contagious things are. Agreed, agreed. But in the big picture, as, as I think we all know, is Events will come back. We, as we are Americans, we do like to go out. We like to participate. We're all about community. Um, so even if it's going to take us six, nine, 12 months to really get things moving again, um, you know, I'm, I'm very bullish on the, the concept that live events will always exist and it will always be a huge part of our life. I absolutely agree. You know, and now with the advent of the Zoom technology and the Zoom performances, there may be still an aspect of people uncomfortable going out. They could still watch it at home. Absolutely. And and one of the things that I, I talk about this daily with both my team and many others in the industry is everybody saying, well, what's your virtual solution? Like, uh, are you going to stream concerts? Or are you going to stream events? And the answer is sure. You know, um, we, we will, but it's going to be a complement to the live event. It's not going to be a replacement for it. And, and I think we've been pulled into this environment that um, it, how, it had to be a replacement for. Uh, and I, you, I don't know how your friends are, but, uh, you know, I'm stuck on Zoom calls oh, right? five, six, seven, seven hours a day. You know, the last thing I want to do by the end of the night is be go, go back on to Zoom. another Zoom. That's funny because I just started a vinyl show because I'm a DJ. And so it's a Saturday at four o'clock. And the reason I even started it is because there's a festival here in San Jose. It's a street festival, uh, the South First Music Festival. And it was in April and they had to go virtual. And I got involved with them and I started this vinyl party in April. And it was a lot of fun, you know, and I just for an hour and I do a little trivia and play vinyl records and this and that. 
And, uh, you know, I get a lot of people watch on Facebook Live as well, and I do the Zoom room. But it's funny because a lot of some of my friends are like, listen, I'm just what you said. I'm on calls all day on Zoom and I just I know that you're doing this great thing, but I just I can't deal with Zoom on a Saturday (laughs) at four o'clock. You know, I'd rather go out and get some fresh air or something like I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. So So mm -hmm. that's why I think it will be a compliment. Right. Mm -hmm. So once we once we normalize again and 80 percent of the interactivity is live again, then it will be a great option when, you know, you really love that festival you know, in Palm Springs and you just can't make it this year, but you don't want to miss this great set from one of your favorite artists. Right. So you log in, you check it out live. It makes you feel like you're a part of it and you pay 20, 30, 40 bucks instead of 300. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I see that as that's a really good way to look at the future. The other weird thing about festivals and, you know, especially music festivals is it's a very risky environment because of the singing, because people love to sing and that is one of, you know, the droplets and the contagion and, you know, pandemic and all that. So singing is kind of a da- so, so weird to think that singing is a dangerous activity. Uh, what do you see? How long do you think people are going to have to wear masks at these events? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly simply believe, just like many other viruses, is until we actually have a vaccine that people are comfortable with and or uh we moved to a place where you know you call it herd immunity i, I don't know i don't know what's going to happen in that capacity um but when people are comfortable that they're not necessarily worried about getting sick at a show they'll get back to normal right and you know and they, they'll feel that way once they've either had the vaccine and or have already had it you got to remember right is uh you know while while nobody wants to get covid we, we've had over, you know, what, two and a half million people that have been tested positive in the yeah. United States already. And just imagine uh, all the people that hadn't been tested. So uh, I can't, I'm not going to do the math from a health expert right now, but it's going to be, you know, it's tenfold of those who have had it uh, probably have been exposed already. Um, so over time, um, you'll either have gotten the vaccine that gives you the antibodies or you would have had some form of it that also helps your antibodies. Right. So that's that whole thing when kids used to get the chicken pox and then parents would take their kid over to get the chicken pox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I guess when we get less fearful of the whole thing, you know, I, you, if you get it, then you're not, I don't know if you can get it again. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Or if you got it again, it would be less severe than the first time. There's still, I see that's the problem. There's so many questions and people just, that's the thing you're, you said this earlier, when are you ready? I mean, I love a festival, but I just don't, I'm not sure, quite sure I'm ready to go out and I wouldn't, if I, there was a, my favorite festival next weekend, I don't know. I don't think I'd be going. I'd be like, "Eh." what about you? Would you, would you head out there? Are you still cautious about it? Yeah. I mean, I I think, I I don't think they're mutually exclusive, right? Um, I think you can be cautious and still, enjoy some slow movement back towards what you enjoy. So, you know, uh, I don't know about you in San Francisco, but here in New York on a nice day, you know, I put my mask on and I go walk down by the water and I see, you know, groups of five or 10 people that are friends all sitting together with their masks on, or maybe families of four that have been quarantined together without masks on um, hanging out. So I think there's a way to begin to mobilize and be together with being cautious and still being socially, you know, distant and potentially just being in your own groups. Um, your own you know, bubble. I, I, what are they calling it? Social bubbles. 
<laughs> social groups. But you know, if you if you've already kind of know you you want to go to an event and you're going to go with five or ten of your friends and each of you have been responsible, the hard part is just responsibility, uh, trusting responsibility, knowing that you know that group that you're going to be with. That's you know, also being responsible. That's Correct. the thing about Correct. the social bubble thing. You know, we have a bubble of friends, but then I don't like my neighbor, right? He's in our bubble. But then I, when he's in his free time, I'm not 100% sure what he's up to, sure. especially because he was somehow, he was like, I'm going to a party with some strippers. And I was like, okay, you're in our bubble. And now you're going to bring your bubble into our bubble. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. about your bubble. It, you know, there is a lot of questions, yeah. but I think, I think that you're nailing it with, and you know, I've heard this a lot. It's just going to, it's just going to take a little while and it's going to take, and it's going to be smaller gatherings. I also heard that, let me ask you one more question about this. If you've heard anything about this, now people are saying that maybe ticket prices are going to go down because they were super, super expensive. And now, I don't know, have you heard any correlation between, you know, the, the reopening and lower ticket prices? Um, the answer is, of course, right? So <clears throat> sometimes ticket prices have increased for various reasons, right? So um, one of the key ones is the artists themselves, right? So as as the artists demand more money to show up, then, of course, the ticket prices rise in conjunction with that, uh, among other, um, you know, pieces to it. But a lot of people are kind of seeing this almost as a reset. Um, some, you know, some of the artists... Um, will have to re- will have to accept less of a fee in order to ensure they can just begin to get everybody back into a place where economics start working again. So I think it's a it's a revisit of how the model works. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's time may- because it was getting. I felt like ticket prices were getting so so expensive. And I talked myself out of going to some of these shows because I was like, gosh, that's so expensive. And I can only have, I only have so many dollars in my entertainment budget, this and that. Right. And now really after this pandemic, I'm looking back at some of the shows I passed on right before it happened. And I'm thinking, oh, I I wish I'd paid for that ticket. I wouldn't, it would have been worth it for me, but you know how it goes. Well, it'd be nice to see a little bit less they and I was hearing, you know, through the grapevine about, you know, some of the bigger artists that, that were really getting those high ticket prices. You know, they probably maybe have to reset, like you're saying. Um, but some of the all the all the smaller groups, anyway, you know, they that probably won't change because yeah, I was supposed to go to a club show and it got it was in March, and now it's pushed back to September. And I, again, I just it was sold it's sold out show. Uh, with this band I love, Larkin Poe, and I don't know how they're going to handle that because if it's sold out, then obviously you, you, not everybody's going to be able to go to that show, right? I don't know how they're going to figure that out. Sure. No, that, that does make sense. And and to your point is uh, they may have to do it over two nights and then spread the tickets over two nights. Okay, um, that's a good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Some, people, some people, you know, they'll, they'll work on what it is. I've been I've been uh, having some conversations with a, there's this new association that was created after COVID called um, the National Independent Venue Association okay. called NEVA. So in the U.S., there's about 5,000 independent music venues um, or theatrical venues, I should say. Uh, and um, about 2,000 of those 5,000 have kind of banded together. Um, and, you know, none of them have any kind of corporate or, or larger ownership. They're just individually owned places. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, they've obviously had some issues with the exact thing you're talking about, right? They're a smaller venue. They rely on ticket sales to drive most of their business. It's different than, call it the Live Nations of the World, that have substantial sponsors and brands that are help uh, 
supporting some of it. Right. Um, you know, it's really alcohol in the venue and ticket sales are the only two revenue streams for a lot of these small venues. Uh, so they're just trying to figure it out as well. And, you know, part of, part of the thing we're trying to help them with is, um, you know, when they have to give refunds to an event that got postponed or, um, or canceled, if you will, because of COVID, you know, sometimes that's really hard for some of these small venues because, you know, they they rely on that ticket price to, you know, feed the, the rest of their model. Um, right. The refund. And then I think there's a fee possibly if they have to give a fee to them to give a refund. So that's yeah, the last so, thing so, they need. Yeah. So one of the things we're, we're trying to do work with them and help them is, um, you know, potentially offer their, their fans, um, you know, the equivalent amount of credits on festival pass in return for, uh, you know, what that ticket price might've been because by the time, they get a chance to then go use or want to go see a show. They can choose from any of thousands of shows ah, because they I received see. the credits and festival pass. Cause whenever you postpone a show, you just never know, are you going to be available the night that it happens again? Is it going to be, you know, at the right time for you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's um, a really a drag when a show gets postponed a years ago, I was supposed to go see Ozzy Osbourne. He postponed the day of our show at the shoreline amphitheater. So we, wow. we held out right a whole nother season, a whole nother year to get to that show. And so we waited and then they canceled the postponed again. Then we refund on that one. Now they were supposed to play in 2020 and now COVID. So, I mean, yeah, after a while, you, you know, people are like, I think I just want my money back. So, <laughs> or get the festival pass credit, right? Yeah. That's, it's a good solution for everybody. The, I, the, I really sympathize though with the, the clubs, the small clubs, cause that those are indoor venues and we're, I think we're all feeling a little uh, more comfortable being outside social distance, Correct. more space. But then when you're in those inside venues, that's kind of, you know, and the other thing I heard, of course, indoor venue, alcohol, <laughs> put those yep. two together and people, you know, their inhibitions go down, they're indoors, they're singing, they're closer and you know, then people get nervous. I agree. I agree. Something, something we all have to work through. And, you know, at the end of the day, if, if it takes a slow roll into it, um, they'll all come back. And we just hope that some of the small venues can financially make it. Yeah. Thanks to Ed Vincent, founder and CEO of Festival Pass. For more information about Festival Pass, just go to festivalpass.com. Here at Festival Nation, we will continue to bring your festival updates and we'll be keeping the festival spirit alive by featuring shows about your favorite festivals. Please reach out and share with me your favorite festival memories, maybe a favorite festival you went to. Just shoot me an email, festivalnationpodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on social, on Facebook and Instagram at Festival Nation and on Twitter at Nation Festival. And check out all of our podcasts at the Pantheon Podcast Network at Pantheon Pods. Coming up on Festival Nation, we'll talk to Dead & Company's O'Teal Burbridge, Jerry Garcia Band's Melvin Seals, and rock and roll photographer Jay Blakesburg. And you'll hear from Maria Maldar from Midnight at the Oasis fame about her latest project, paying tribute to Jerry Garcia and the spiritual songs he performed. Any music used in this Festival Nation podcast is owned by the artist and is used for educational and illustration purposes only. Thanks for checking out, liking, sharing, and following Festival Nation on the Pantheon Podcast Network and wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Talk to you next time. We will get by. We will survive. Peace. Peace, love, and music. Thanks for being part of the tribe. From Marla Davies and everyone here at Festival Nation. Until next time, tune in. Turn on.